0: We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Sunday, January 15th episode. That would be episode 137 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. <coughs> sorry, excuse me. Um, I want to apologize. Did not get anything recorded last night, so I'm recording very early this morning to try to get this out as as early as possible. I'm sorry. I had um, family here till 11:30 last night, so was not able to fit in recording and, and didn't have time earlier in the day. So, <coughs> sorry about that. So, anyways. So we will get going first thing this morning. We're going to jump right into it. So as is our practice, we're going to go ahead and open with the first day morning prayer. It's called worship. So let's pray. O Lord, we commune with thee every day, but weekdays are worldly days, and secular concerns reduce heavenly impressions. We bless thee, therefore, for the day sacred to our souls, when we can wait upon thee and be refreshed. We thank Thee for the institutions of religion, by use of which we draw near to Thee, and Thou to us. We rejoice in another Lord's Day, when we call off our minds from the cares of the world, and attend upon Thee without distraction. Let our retirement be devout, our conversations edifying, our reading pious, our hearing profitable, that our souls may be quickened and elevated. We are going to the house of prayer. Pour upon us the spirit of grace and supplication." We are going to the house of praise. Awaken in us every grateful and cheerful emotion. We are going to the house of instruction. Give testimony to the word preached, and glorify it in the hearts of all who hear. May it enlighten the ignorant, awaken the careless, reclaim the wandering, establish the weak, comfort the feeble-minded, make ready a people for their Lord. Be a sanctuary to all who cannot come forget not those who never come and do thou bestow upon us benevolence towards our dependents forgiveness towards our enemies peaceableness towards our neighbors openness towards our fellow christians amen all right and now our morning devotion and you have to excuse me breathing wise i with we've had a weather front come in and it's got me kind of congested i'm not sick just kind of congested and it's bothering me um so our morning devotion for January 15th the text for it is 2nd Samuel 7:25 Do as thou hast said. I'm going to take some coffee here. God's promises were never meant to be thrown aside as waste paper. He intended that they should be used. God's gold is not miser's money, but is minted to be traded with. Nothing pleases our Lord better than to see His promises put in circulation. He loves to see His children bring them up to Him and say, Lord, do as Thou hast said. We glorify God when we plead His promises. Do you think that God will be any the poorer for giving you the riches He has promised? Do you dream that He will be any the less holy for giving holiness to you? Do you imagine He will be any the less pure for washing you from your sins? He has said, Come now, and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. This is a precious promise. I wonder if it be true. Um, I'm sorry, I skipped. I'm sorry, let me back up. So they shall be as wool. Faith lays hold upon the promise of pardon, and it does not delay, saying, This is a precious promise. I wonder if it is true but it goes straight to the throne with it and pleads, Lord, here is the promise, do as thou hast said. Our Lord replies, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. When a Christian grasps a promise, if he does not take it to God, he dishonors him. But when he hastens to the throne of grace and cries, Lord, I have nothing to recommend me but this, thou hast said it, then his, de- then his desire shall be granted. Our heavenly banker delights to cash his own notes never let the promise rust draw the sword of promise out of its scabbard and use it with holy violence think not that god will be troubled by your by your import by your importunately reminding him of his promises he loves to hear the loud outcries of needy souls it is his delight to bestow favors he is more ready to hear than you are to ask the sun is not weary of shining nor the fountain of flowing It is God's nature to keep his promises. Therefore, go at once to the throne with do as thou hast said. All right. Sorry about that. Struggled with that one a little bit. All right. Let's get into our reading. We are uh, Genesis 31 starting in verse 17 through the end of the chapter and then into verse 32. And sorry, I'm going to have some coffee here. Hoping the heat helps to clear my sinuses. All right. 31, uh, Genesis 31, verse 17. Then Jacob arose and put his children and his wives upon camels, and he drove away all his livestock and all his possessions, which he had accumulated, his acquired livestock, which he had accumulate, accumulated in Paddan Aram, in order to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Now Laban had gone to shear his flock, Then Rachel stole the household idols that were her father's, and Jacob deceived Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he was fleeing. So he fled with all that he had, and he arose and crossed the river and set his face towards the hill country of Gilead. Then it was told to Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled. So he took his relatives with him and pursued him a distance of seven days' journey, and he overtook him in the hill country of Gilead. And God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream of the night, and said to him, Beware, lest you speak to Jacob either good or bad. So Laban caught up with Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tents in the hill country, and Laban with his relatives camped in the hill country of Gilead. Then Laban said to Jacob, What have you done by deceiving me and carrying away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and deceive me and not tell me? so that I might have sent you away with gladness and with songs, with tambourines and with lyre, lyre, and not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you have acted foolishly. It is in my hand to do evil against you, but the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Beware of speaking either good or evil to Jacob. So now you have indeed gone away, because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Then Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, because I said, lest you take your daughters from me by force. The one with whom you find your God shall not live. In the presence of our relatives, recognize what is yours among my belongings, and take it for yourself. But Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent, and into Leah's tent, and into the tent of the two maidservants, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household idols and put them in the camel's saddle, and she sat on them, and Laban felt through all the tent, but did not find them, and she said to her father, Let not my lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household idols. Then Jacob became angry and contended with Laban, and Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my transgression? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? Though you have felt through, through all my goods, what have you found of all your household goods? Place it here before my relatives and your relatives, that they may decide between us two. These twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn of beasts I did not bring to you, I bore the loss of it myself. You required it of my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was. By day the heat consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters, and six years for your flock, and you changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the dread of Isaac had not been for me, surely now you would have sent me away empty." God has seen my affliction and the toil of my hands, so he rendered the decision last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, and the children are my children, and the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these daughters of mine or to their children whom they have borne? So now come, let us cut a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. Then Jacob took a stone and raised it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his relatives, Gather stones. So they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. <coughs> and Laban called called it Jagar-Sahadutha, Shahad, Sahadutha. but Jacob called it Galid. Then Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore it was named Galid, and Mispah for heap, and Mispah. For he said, May Yahweh watch between you and me, when we are absent one from the other. If you afflict my daughters, or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see God is witness between you and me. And Laban said to Jacob, Behold this heap, and behold the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass by this heap to you for harm, and you will not pass by this heap and this pillar f- to me for harm the God of Abraham, and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the dread of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain, and called his relatives to eat a meal. And they ate the meal, and spent the night on the mountain. And Laban arose early in the morning, and kissed his sons and his daughters, and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. All right, and... Genesis 32, Now Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. Then Jacob said to, to said when he saw them, This is God's camp, so he named that place Mahanaim. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He also commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my lord, to Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and have been delayed until now. And I have oxen and donkey, and flocks, and male and female slaves, and I have sent to tell my lord, that I may find favor in your sight. Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and furthermore he is coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him, and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps. And he said, If Esau comes to the one camp and strikes it, then the camp which remains will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Yahweh, who said to me, Return to your land and to your kin, and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the truth which you have shown to your slave. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and strike me down with the mothers and the children. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your seed as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. All right. And Matthew 10, starting in verses 24 through the end of the chapter. There we go. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher, and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household! Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear proclaim upon the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for an an Assyrian? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Therefore everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my father who is in heaven. But who, dis- who denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of the disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. And Matthew 11, going to verse 6. Now it happened that when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his twelve disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John in prison heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for someone else? And Jesus answered and said to him, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me." All right, and Psalm 13. For the choir director, a psalm of David. How long, O Yahweh, will you forget me? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemies be exalted over me? Look and answer me, O Yahweh, my God. Give light to my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy says, I have overcome him, and my adversaries rejoice that I am shaken. But I have trusted in your loving kindness, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to Yahweh, because he has death I'm sorry, because he has dealt bountifully with me. All right, and Proverbs three, verses sixteen through eighteen. Let me find them. There we go. Length of days is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and glory. <clears throat> her ways are pleasant ways, and all her pathways are peace. <coughs> sorry. She is a tree of life to those who seize her, and all those who hold her fast are blessed. All right, sorry about that coffin there at the end. That is our reading for this morning. Um and like I said, gonna try to hurry up and go ahead and wrap this morning segment and get to the evening segment so I can get this out as quickly as possible for y'all. I know some like to listen to it very, very early in the morning. So let's go ahead and close out with like we usually do with the Lord's Day morning prayer. Uh, Let's pray. O maker and upholder of all things, day and night are thine. They are also mine from thee. The night to rid me of the cares of the day, to refresh my weary body, to renew my natural strength. THE DAY TO SUMMON ME TO NEW ACTIVITIES, TO GIVE ME OPPORTUNITY TO GLORIFY THEE, TO SERVE MY GENERATION, TO ACQUIRE KNOWLEDGE, HOLINESS, ETERNAL LIFE. BUT ONE DAY ABOVE ALL DAYS IS MADE ESPECIALLY FOR THY HONOR AND MY IMPROVEMENT. THE SABBATH REMINDS ME OF THY REST FROM CREATION, OF THE RESURRECTION OF MY SAVIOR, OF HIS ENTERING INTO REPOSE. THY HOUSE IS MINE, BUT I AM UNWORTHY TO MEET THEE THERE, AND AM UNFIT FOR SPIRITUAL SERVICE. When I enter it, I come before thee as a sinner, condemned by conscience and thy word. For I am still in the body and in the wilderness, ignorant, weak, in danger, and in need of thine aid, but encouraged by thy all-sufficient grace. Let me go to thy house with a lively hope of meeting thee, knowing that there thou wilt come to me and give me peace." My soul is drawn out to thee in longing desires, for thy presence in the sanctuary, at the table, where all are entertained on a feast of good things. Let me, before the broken elements, emblems of thy dying love, cry to thee with broken heart for grace and forgiveness. I long for that blissful communion of thy people, and thy eternal house, in the perfect kingdom. These are they that follow the Lamb. May I be of their company. Amen. All right. Well, thank you for joining me this morning. I hope this has been edifying. It has equip, helped to equip you, That let's reading through the word. Um, I hope you have a wonderful day and that you do all that you do for the glory of God. And I would definitely pray that you get to church this morning and worship with the saints. I love you. And God willing, I'll see you this evening. God bless. <music> Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Sunday, January 15th episode. That would be episode 137 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am, I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. Um, Again, I wanted, like I did in the morning segment, I want to apologize for this coming out later in the day. Um, I just, I had family here till 1130 last night, was not able to get the recording in. But with that being said, let's go ahead and let's jump straight in so I can go ahead and get this done, get it in the can and get it out to you. So our, as is our practice on Sundays, we're going to, especially the evening segment, we're going to open with the first day evening prayer called the teacher. Oh God, we bless thee, our creator, preserver, benefactor, teacher for opening to us the volume of nature where we may read and consider thy works. Thou hast this day spread before us the fuller pages of Revelation, and in them we see what thou wouldst have us do, what thou requirest of us, what thou hast done for us, what thou hast promised to us, what thou hast given us in Jesus. We pray thee for a conscious experience of his salvation, in our deliverance from sin, in our bearing his image, in our enjoying his presence, in our being upheld by his free spirit. Let us not live uncertain of what we are or where we are going. Bear witness with our spirit that we are thy children, and enable each one to say, I know my Redeemer. Bless us with a growing sense of this salvation. If already enlightened in Christ, may we see greater things. If quickened, may we have more abundant life. If renewed, let us go on from strength to strength. Give us closer abiding in Jesus, that we may bring forth more fruit. Have a deeper sense of our obligations to Him, that we may surrender all, <coughs> excuse me, have a fuller joy, that we may serve Him more completely, and may our faith work by love towards Him who died, towards our fellow believers, towards our fellow men. Amen. All right, and now our evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for January 15th. The text is Psalm 109.4, but I give myself unto prayer. And I'm going to take some coffee here. All right. But I give myself unto prayer. Okay. Lying tongues, tongues were busy against the reputation of David, but he did not defend himself. He moved the case into a higher court and pleaded before the great king himself. Prayer is the safest method of replying to words of hatred. The psalmist prayed in no cold-hearted manner. He gave himself to the the exercise, threw his whole soul and heart into it, straining every sinew and muscle, as Jacob did when wrestling with the angel. Thus, and thus only, shall any of us speed at the throne of grace. Did I read that right? Yeah, shall any of us speed at the throne of grace. As a shadow has no power, because there is no substance in it, Even so, that supplication in which a man's proper self is not thoroughly present in agonizing earnestness and vehement desire is utterly ineffectual, for it lacks that which would give it force. Fervent prayer, says an old divine, like a cannon planted at the gates of heaven, makes them fly open. The common fault with the most of us is our readiness to yield to distractions. Our thoughts go roving hither and thither, and we make little progress towards our desired end. Like quicksilver, our mind will not hold together, but rolls off this way and that. How great an evil this is! It injures us, and what is worse, it insults our God. What should we think of a petitioner, if while having an audience with a prince, he should be playing with a feather or catching a fly? continuance and perseverance are intended in the expression of our text david did not cry once and then relapse into silence his holy clamor was continued till it brought down the blessing prayer must not be our chance work but our daily business our habit and vocation as artists give themselves to their models and poets to their classical pursuits so must we addict ourselves to prayer We must be immersed in prayer as in our element, and so pray without ceasing. Lord, teach us to pray that we may be more and more prevalent in supplication. Whoa, amen. Yeah, definitely. We definitely need to be much, much more into our prayer. I mean, I I would guarantee you, I know my prayer life is not what it should be, and I'm pretty certain that I can say of you, um, and I don't mean this insultingly, but that your prayer life is not what it should be, so... That's definitely good guidance that we need from uh, the Prince of Preachers, Dr. Uh, Charles Spurgeon. All right. <clears throat> sorry, man. Cannot clear this stuff today. Um, and I'm going to take some coffee here. So let's go ahead and jump into our, uh, into our study this morning uh, or this evening. Um, the study is John 4. Sorry, I'm recording it in the morning and you'll be listening to it in the evening, I guess. Um, or whenever you want to. Um, so we're going to continue our study in the Gospel of John in John 4. Um, this is actually going to be our fifth study, our fifth message in this. Um, we're probably looking at a sixth and maybe a seventh. We'll see how that breaks out. Um, but what I'm going to do is I wanted to go ahead while I was thinking about it. I'm going to go ahead and read the totality of this um, from John 4.1 through 4.26. Just to look at the whole thing as a as a chunk, and then we'll go back to our specific verses. So, John 4, verse 1. Therefore, when Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How do you, being a Jew, ask for a drink from me, being a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, And who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well, and drank of it himself, and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst ever But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so I will not be thirsty, nor come back here to draw. He said to her, Go, call your husband and come back here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no no husband. For you had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. All right. So like I said, this is, this is our fifth message, our f- fifth little sermonette or whatever you want to call it that we've, that we've looked at as, as we've moved our way through these verses, this, this encounter with the woman at the well by Jesus. um, And like I said, God willing, we'll have at least a sixth one, if not a seventh one. But you know, we, as we've spoken of before, the true purpose of this gospel is, is indicated by John the Evangelist in chapter 20, verse 31. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. (coughs) Sorry. And, you know, we've spoken of the fact that there's an an apologetic, a polemical purpose to present us evidence that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah. But that there's also an evangelical purpose, that in being presented this evidence, that we would believe that Jesus is that Messiah, the Son of God, and thus, believing, we would have eternal life. We would have life in his name, which means having eternal life, having a saving faith. And as I've indicated before, this permeates all the chapters and verses throughout this gospel. Uh, Wow, throughout this gospel didn't speak well there, did I? And includes the story of the Samaritan woman at the well that we're dealing with. But what we've also seen in these verses is we've seen how Jesus approaches this woman and the way he's dealing with her. And, it's, and, it, and it truly is a model of how biblical evangelism should be practiced. And what we've also seen is we've seen how this woman responds, how the Holy Spirit starts working within her. And in some cases, how, how her response is and how really our response should be, whether we're saved or not, how our response should be to the proclamation and the calling of Jesus Christ. And when I say that, I'm speaking of the effectual call, the call from God, which, you know, God, Jesus is God incarnate. So it comes from both. But what we're going to see in our verses today is not only a continuation of that evangelism exercise, but we'll see Jesus, but what we're going to see, oh, this is actually probably tomorrow evening, what we'll see as we get further into this, and this will be like verses 20 and on, we'll see Jesus uh, make clear the difference between real worship, true worship, and ritual worship or external worship. And so we'll see that tomorrow. But we're going to look at how Jesus continues to approach her and how she responds to it. So let's see. So this encounter culminates in the Samaritan woman manifesting fruits of being saved. And become a witness, becoming a witness that the Holy Spirit uses to bring a number of her fellow villagers to salvation. And the means we're going to see Jesus bring this woman to conviction and repentance of her sins and then show her how to truly worship worship God, how to truly manifest salvation. So the text we're going to deal with today is John 4, verses 16 through 19. So I'm going to reread those. He said to her, Go, call your husband and come back here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband. For you had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. This you have truly said. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Through the beginning of this encounter, we've seen that Jesus has headed north to Galilee to get clear of the pot stirring that the Jewish religious establishment was participating in, as Jesus knew that it was not God's time yet. <coughs> Sorry. We see Jesus head through Samaria to Galilee, which may have been the shortest route, but was not the route that the vast majority of Jews would have ever taken. We've seen Jesus sending the disciples into the Samaritan city Sychar to get food, which violated all kinds of Jewish cultural norms. So the woman from the well has come to the well at a time of day that is not the norm and has come to a well that was decidedly not the nearest well to the city. We, we see Jesus show his manhood, and I don't mean like the toxic manhood or any of that, but show his humanness, him being fully, fully human, that he's sitting wearied by the well. And we talked about what that wearied mean, that he was just worn out after 20 mile hike that morning from where they were in Judea to Sychar. And like I've told you before, I've seen that the ground that would have covered and it's 20 hard miles. And Jesus condescends to ask her for a drink of water, placing himself in need of something from her, at least momentarily. Then we see Christ offer her living water, water, water that brings everlasting life. And we saw that. He engaged her in a conversation. He engaged in a regular conversation to open the conversation with her. Jesus had condescended to her to engage in that conversation. And he's offered mercy to her and offering her the gift of living water. And we talked about what that, where that living water came from and, and where that terminology came from in the Old Testament. And finally, last evening, um, actually the last, couple of evenings, we saw where Jesus offered the unparalleled blessings of eternal life, which is a blessing from God. And so we saw the Samaritan woman ask for that living water. She, she begged for that living water. So Christ has come on this divine appointment. He had to cross. We saw that in the text. He had to go through Samaria, had to go through Sychar to meet this woman. And like we said, like like we talked about, I think it was last evening or the evening before, he's going to make his first true, and this is verse 26, we saw that when I read all the way through today, where he's going to make his first complete, out in the open, clear proclamation that he's the Messiah to this woman, not to Nicodemus, not to anybody else, not to the religious establishment, but to this woman doing God's will. And she's starting to show fruit. She asks him for the living water. Now, like we talked about, we need to realize here that she's still not grasping on the whole what is being offered by Jesus, which is salvation. And note, verse 15, how she says, give me this water so I will not be thirsty, no come all the way here to draw. Um, I think, and actually that was from the NASB. Yeah, actually the, the LSB is pretty close to that. But at this point, it is a time for conviction. Key to coming to a saving faith is coming to an understanding and an acknowledgement of one's sin nature and a repentance and turning away from it. That's key to coming to a saving faith in Christ. That's key to having life in his name. We cannot go forward evangelizing to people just speaking of the mercy and the blessings of God and of his son, Jesus Christ. While those are extremely important, they're not enough when applied to the human sin nature to prepare us for the work of the work of the Holy Spirit. Sorry, I need some coffee. As I'm sure you could tell, I know that through personal experience myself and I don't get me wrong. Yeah. I'm about to give you a little bit of my story and no, that's not the gospel. And no, I'm not trying to preach it as from, from the scripture, but And this may not be everybody's story, but there's an awful lot of people I've talked to, and this has been theirs. I grew up attending church regularly in one of the major denominations. While I'm sure the reverends, the the, the pastors, whatever they were called, were well-intentioned, I can truly say that the majority of the preaching and teaching that came out of those churches were about the blessings of God and how to be a good person. I do not recall any of them preaching and teaching about sin. The total depravity of man outside of the grace of God and our need for repentance. Now, having been a young child into young adulthood, maybe I missed it. Maybe I didn't quite grasp it when they did preach of it. Maybe my memory is not perfectly accurate. And here being 30 plus years removed from that, that's totally possible. But I really don't remember them doing that. Uh, Like I've spoke to with other folks when talking about this. I remember being told about a savior, but I, and I remember thinking, wow, that Jesus guy, wow, really, really cool. And what he did to be a, be our savior. That's great. But at the same time, I wasn't making the connection as to why I needed that savior. Um, and it wasn't sticking out like, Hey, nobody's telling me anything. Um, within, within the denomination I was in and was like, okay, here's how I need to be a better person. So I can be better. And they weren't saying you got to be a better person to get into heaven, but it 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 implied that. And again, I do not recall any of them preaching and teaching about sin, the total depravity of all man outside of the grace of God and our need for repentance. I don't remember them preaching about hell. I really don't. And of course, if, if you ever notice, Jesus in the New Testament spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. But I don't remember them doing any of that. Um, and and at the time of my conversion, I I really that's where it really registered with me. <clears throat> they talked about a savior, which sounded great, but I came to realize that I thought if I was good en- if I was a good enough person, I would get into heaven. I mean, why else would they keep giving me these top five ways to be a good person or these six steps you should take to be a better Christian or all, all that kind of stuff? You know, it was check it was checklist Sunday, um, and I'm not trying to insult those men. I believe they were truly of good intention and truly trying to do what they felt God had called them to do. But it it wasn't doing the work that it needed to do in me. Um, and don't get me wrong, I was converted when God planned for it before the foundation of the world. And I wrote this down in my notes, and I don't know if this is true, but I I think I actually looked this up. And And please, if I'm incorrect about this. I apologize. But what I wrote here, it had been found, and this was a couple of years ago, that most conversions, I think it actually came out of one of the commentaries I read, that most conversions and coming to a saving faith in Christ has come through a conviction of our sin nature and our specific sins and a repentance from our sins. Now, I don't know if that's actually true, but it would not surprise me because most of the people I've talked to, that's exactly what happened. And I know that's what's ha- happened with me. It took the Holy Spirit using someone to show me my total depravity, my need for a savior, and bring me to repentance. as a, Paul Washer actually called it, a radical depravity. And, and please don't misunderstand that. What he meant by radical was a depravity that, that um, washed over every part of my person. Well, this is where that Samaritan woman is. She's been shown the blessing, but she's not been convicted yet. So Jesus and the the text we're dealing with today, and again, this has been an incredibly long intro and I'm really not trying to be that way, but Jesus here commences showing the woman her sin and her need for a savior. So verses 16 through 18, again, he said to her, go call your husband and come back here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband. For you had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. We know from chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, that Jesus knew what was in all men. He says it clearly. That's why he didn't trust himself to those people that were believing, and I've put that in quotes, because the believing there, the way it's put and the way it's phrased, is they're believing in the miracles he's doing, and they're like, oh boy, look at those miracles here, let's follow him. Um, and he even does that when you get to the point, um, of the, uh, and this is, this is often, um, uh, John six and God willing, we'll get to that through, through these, these studies we've been, we're going to do, um, that, um, it's, it's actually after that he feeds the 5,000, but you get down the road from that <clears throat> and he calls them out that they're following him for the physical bread. He provided not for the bread of life, the word of God, um, and for saving faith. Well, That's what he's talking about in chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, that the people are believing that, oh, boy, we've seen all these Nido, golly gee whiz uh, miracles, and ooh, let's stay with him because maybe we'll get blessed by them. But he's not trusting himself to them. And this is the same reference here, or this is the same situation here. He knows man. So when he threw out this command to go call your husband and come back here, this wasn't a random thing. Don't ever think this was a random thing. I mean, I I don't know that I ever thought it was a random thing, but I was like, wow, that's kind of a weird request. But he does it to lead into a revelation of the Samaritan woman's sin. Jesus tells her to go get her husband and bring him to, to Jesus. And notice how she responds evasively. Verse 17a, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. She tells him the truth. I mean, I'm not saying she's lying here and Jesus doesn't call her out for lying. She tells him the truth that she has no husband, but as we will, as we see, she admits a good bit of her history, which Jesus calls her out on. Sorry. Verse 17 B Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband and into 18 here. So Well, so like I said, Jesus calls her out. We see him acknowledge that she's answered correctly as far as it went. So he doesn't insult her or anything. Jesus doesn't get accusatory again. He acknowledges both here and at the end of verse 18 that she has truly stated part of the truth. But he doesn't stop there. He peels back the covers. Verse 18, for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. Now divorce had become common among the Jews and the Samaritans. Even though the Samaritans only held to the Pentateuch, adultery was clearly dealt with there, which I am sure led to her behavior in getting the water as well as to her having had five husbands, and not just me but the commentators I've read, all of them across the centuries. And it led her that, and not being married to the man she was currently cohabitating with, Jesus clearly shows his divinity to her. And we've talked about it. I've showed you a couple of different places where where he's, I want to say obscurely, but that's not the right word, where he's in a more muted fashion shown his divinity in what he has said to her. But he shows it here, knowing her full history and bringing up the sordidness and placing it in front of her. No witness or an audience, just Jesus and the woman. It's not like the uh, story, which, you know, seems to not be in the earliest manuscripts, but they but they include, and I can't think of what gospel it's in, of the woman that's been found in adultery and the religious leaders bring her to Jesus to see if he thinks they should be stoned. And he makes the comment, you who are without sin, throw the first stone. And they all wander away. <laughs> the oldest first. And the woman gets left there and Jesus goes, does no one condemn you? And, you know, and she goes, no. And he goes, well, neither do I go and send no more. You know, he, again, he's, he's not, this is not a, out in a public, he's, this is not a public confrontation. He didn't come and drag her out in the middle of the sidecar and do this. <clears throat> it's a private conversation but he places her sin before her. And he actually does it lovingly. There's, there, there, it doesn't come across. There's no real inference in the Greek here of him turning around and going, wow, what an awful, disgusting um, fetid piece of fetid pond scum from my friend's email address that you are. It's not that, but it's a here. You like to hide that, you like to ignore that, and believe me, I've been that person. You like to ignore that, you like to put that back and go, oh, that wasn't that bad, or oh, I just, if I don't think about it, I don't have to deal with it kind of thing. He pulls the facts out and lays them in front of her. Call your husband and come back here. Well, I have no husband. You've correctly said you have no husband. For you had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. so he's brought her sin before her and obviously, and we've talked about that, how immoral she is. Um, of course it's really easy to sit there and point at her, but the fact is you and I outside of the grace of God. And sometimes even after we've been saved can look in the mirror and see that we are as immoral as she is maybe not by direct action, but in our thought life, um, believe me, my thought life has, has always been my worst issue. Um, and, and, it's something I, I I still fight against every day, um. As we should, we should be constantly fighting against that and fight constantly fighting and striving against it. <clears throat> but again, like I said, <clears throat> Jesus is lovingly confronting her and bringing to light what she needs to see <clears throat> for the Holy Spirit to work in her. And we see the Holy Spirit starting to move like we saw it before where she asked, she actually asked Jesus for the living water. She may be kind of misunderstood it, but she knew she needed it. Well, we see here that she finally clues in to who, or she finally starts to clue in to at least partially to who this man is. Verse 19, the woman said to him, sir, I see that you are a prophet. The woman acknowledges, the woman makes the acknowledgement of her sin. She doesn't refute his statement, not at all. But by calling him, sir, I see that you're a prophet. That's not just a, hey, I see that people call you a prophet. Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Basically, sir, I see that you are a man sent from God. Calling him a prophet, she is She is admitting an awful lot of things. You are sent from God. You are a prophet. You are someone sent from God. She's getting there, but not quite yet. But at the same time, in that acknowledgement that he's a prophet, it's maybe even an acknowledgement that I see you're a man of God and I see that you've been sent here. Like I said, she's getting there but not quite, but she's acknowledging. She's not ignoring. She's not hiding. She's not ignoring when our sins have been brought before us and trying to shut them out and act like it doesn't matter and act like we're not in need of a mediator. We're not in need of a propitiatory sacrifice before God to pay for our sins. She's acknowledging that that she needs that living water, and that she knows that this man of God has correctly laid out the sin before her, and she's now facing it. So Jesus has called her out by her sins, and not in an ugly way, but a loving way. And she's starting to respond. But again, like I said last evening, Holy Spirit's not quite complete with his work yet. And of course, Don't get me wrong. The Holy Spirit never completes his work. The Holy Spirit walks with us from our conversion to our glorification and beyond. But it's starting to happen. She's starting to come to a saving faith in Christ. And she's responding. She's not shutting it out. She's not walking away from it. She's taking it in. And she's starting to. The, the, the ugly fetid pond scum is starting to be pulled away. The heart of stone is starting to be removed and a heart of flesh placed in it. And so we see here Jesus's example, a loving example of placing our sin before us, placing her sin before her and her responding rightly in accepting it and acknowledging that this is coming from God. And God willing, tomorrow evening, we'll see how this progresses further through her further conversation with Christ and see how she makes the realization that she needs to worship, that there is a need for worship, but that she truly, even though she doesn't explicitly ask the question, an acknowledgement that she doesn't know how, and she needs guidance from God, from this man of God, to tell her how. All right. Well, let's go ahead and we'll close up with the Lord's Day evening prayer, which is our regular practice. Let's pray. Most Holy God, may the close of an earthly Sabbath remind me that the last of them will one day end. Animate me with joy that in heaven praise will never cease, That, that adoration will continue forever, that no flesh will grow weary, no congregations disperse, no affections flag, no thoughts wander, no will droop, but all will be adoring love. Guard my mind from making ordinances, my stay or trust, from hewing out broken cisterns, from resting on outward helps. Wing me through earthly forms to thy immediate presence. May my feeble prayers show me the emptiness and vanity of my sins. Deepen in me the convictions that my most fervent prayers and most lowly confessions need to be repented of. May my best services bring me nearer to the cross and prompt me to cry, None but Jesus. By thy spirit, give abiding life to the lessons of this day. May the seeds sown take deep root and yield a full harvest. Let all who see me take knowledge that I have been with thee, that thou hast taught me my need as a sinner, hast revealed a finished salvation to me, hast enriched me with all spiritual blessings, hast chosen me to show forth Jesus to others, hast helped me to dispel the mists of unbelief. O great creator, mighty protector, gracious preserver, thou dost load me with loving kindness and hast made me thy purchased possession and redeemed me from all guilt. I praise and bless thee for my Sabbath rest, my calm conscience, my peace of heart. Amen. All right. I hope you have a wonderful evening. Um, I hope you get a great night's sleep and God willing, I will see you tomorrow morning. Have a wonderful night. God bless. Bye.